Hi, I'm Dan Bourgeois, and welcome to the Mondo Bass Podcast, the show geared towards beginning and intermediate bassists with information beneficial to professionals and bassists from all walks of life and skill levels. Whatever your style and whatever your skill level, there's something for you here at Mondo Bass. I'm very excited about today's show because it's a little different from what we usually do here on Mondo Bass. There are no musical exercises or theory lessons. You won't even need a bass. Today we're going to spotlight a great music movie, The Blues Brothers from 1980. Part of our mission here at Mondo Bass is to not only help you on your journey as a bassist and musician, but to spotlight great music. And The Blues Brothers is full of great music being played by some of the greatest players of all time. If you're unfamiliar with Southern soul, blues, and rhythm and blues, The Blues Brothers is a great gateway into that world. I'm also excited because my girlfriend Faith is joining me for a look back at the movie and the music. She's a wonderful singer, loves music in all of its forms, and is also the host of a podcast called The Late Night Fright, a show we co-host together that spotlights classic and modern horror and science fiction. I graduated from LSU in Baton Rouge, Louisiana with a degree in screenwriting. Movies are one of my great passions in life alongside music, so this is a great treat to be able to talk about one of my favorite films of all time with her. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to the discussion of the film, let's get into a little bit of the backstory on how this all came to be. The Blues Brothers were the brainchild of actors John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, two of the stars of the wildly popular Saturday Night Live program that debuted on October 11th, 1975. In its early days, SNL was very unique in that it was bringing an irreverent, counterculture, comedic attitude into living rooms across America every Saturday night. It combined high-concept comedy sketches, political satire, and music into a program that quickly found its way into the public consciousness. So many of the phrases said on the show, from Live from New York at Saturday night to We Are Two Wild and Crazy Guys to Cheeburger, 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 have found their way into the popular culture and remain there to this day. Chevy Chase was the breakout star during the show's first season. He left after that year to pursue opportunities in Hollywood. John Belushi quickly became the most prominent performer on the series with a cast that included Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, Garrett Morris, Bill Murray, Lorraine Newman, and Gilda Radner. John became famous for characters such as Samurai Futaba, Pete Dionysopoulos, the owner of the Olympia Cafe, The Killer Bee, his appearances on Weekend Update, SNL's version of the news, and his spot-on impressions of William Shatner's Captain Kirk, Henry Kissinger, and Joe Cocker. Born on January 24, 1949, to Albanian parents on the west side of Chicago, John Belushi grew up in Wheaton, Illinois, where he was a star football player and a standout of Wheaton Central High School's drama department. He also expressed a keen interest in music and formed a band called The Ravens in 1965. He played drums and provided vocals, and the band released a single, but broke up when Belushi went to the College of DuPage. Performing had become his passion, and it wasn't long before he caught the interest of Bernard Salins, the founder of the Second City Improvisational Theater. Belushi was so gifted that he immediately began working on the main stage at Second City, and is the only performer to ever do so. While at Second City, Belushi worked with talents such as Harold Ramis, most famous for his role as Egon Spengler in Ghostbusters, and Brian Doyle Murray, the older brother of Bill Murray, who would go on to co-write 1980's Caddyshack. 
Soon after, Belushi left for New York to work for the National Lampoon Radio Hour, which was an offshoot of National Lampoon Magazine, a satirical magazine co-founded by Animal House and Caddyshack screenwriter Doug Kinney. Saturday Night Live was a blending of talents from both Second City and the Lampoon. Belushi was the linchpin that helped bring them together. An avid rock and roller throughout his performing career, John never lost his interest in music and secretly desired to be a rock star. Belushi's soulmate was Dan Aykroyd. Born on July 1st, 1952 in Ottawa, Ontario, Aykroyd grew up with a keen appreciation for the occult and considers himself a spiritualist. His great-grandfather corresponded with Sherlock Holmes creator Sir Arthur Conan Doyle on the subject of spiritualism and about the topic Aykroyd is quoted as saying, quote, I'm a spiritualist, a proud wearer of the spiritualist badge. Mediums and psychic research have gone on for many, many years. Loads of people have seen spirits, heard a voice, or felt the cold temperature. I believe that they are between here and there, that they exist between the fourth and fifth dimensions, and that they visit us frequently, end quote. This interest led directly to the creation of Ghostbusters, one of the biggest comedy hits of all time. Aykroyd found his way to Saturday Night Live through both the Toronto and Chicago troops of the Second City. As well as being a performer on the series, Aykroyd was also a writer and was noted for his eccentricity, writing skits such as the Super Bassomatic 76, where he put a bass into a blender on live television, and the series of Conehead skits about an alien family from the planet Rimulac. As a performer, Aykroyd created such memorable characters as Beldar, patriarch of the Conehead family, E. Buzz Miller, a sleazy late-night cable host, Jortuk Festrunk, one of the two wild and crazy guys, Fred Garvin, male prostitute, and Erwin Mainway, toy maker. Among his spot-on celebrity impressions were Jimmy Carter, Vincent Price, Rod Serling, Robert Stack, Tom Snyder, and Julia Child. Like Belushi, Aykroyd had a keen interest in music, but he wasn't an avid rock and roller. He was in love with the blues. Aykroyd's love of the music sparked a fascination in Belushi, and before long, John, along with his wife Judy, had also become a musicologist on the subject. John would become immersed in the music after tapings of Saturday Night Live at the Holland Tunnel Blues Bar owned by Aykroyd. He and Aykroyd began performing with local blues bands. Saturday Night Live band leader Howard Shore, who would later go on to win an Oscar for his work on the Lord of the Rings motion pictures, jokingly suggested they call themselves the Blues Brothers. Belushi's love of the music was cemented while filming National Lampoon's Animal House in Eugene, Oregon during October of 1977. Belushi would watch young blues singer and harmonica player Curtis Salgado perform and would then spend hours afterwards talking about the music with him. Belushi is quoted as saying, quote, I was growing sick of rock and roll. It was starting to bore me, and I hated disco, so I needed some place to go. I hadn't heard much blues before. It felt good, end quote. He also said, Quote, I couldn't stop playing the stuff. I bought hundreds of records and singles. I walked around playing that shit all the time. And then I knew Danny had played the harp in Canada, and I could always sing. So we created the Blues Brothers. The first appearance of what will become the Blues Brothers didn't feature what will become the iconic look at all. On the January 17th, 1976 episode of Saturday Night Live, hosted by Buck Henry, Aykroyd and Belushi appeared dressed in bee costumes, along with Howard Shore and his all-bee band, and performed Slim Harpo's I'm a King Bee. Joliet Jake and Elwood Blues made their first official appearance 
on the April 22nd, 1978 episode of SNL, backed by the studio house band. They performed two songs, Floyd Dixon's Hey Bartender and Willie Maybon's I Don't Know. The characters of Jake and Elwood were based on Donnie and Richard Hawk Walsh of the Toronto-based Downchild Blues Band. Belushi and Aykroyd would cover two of Downchild's tunes, I Got Everything I Need Almost and Shotgun Blues, on their best-selling 1978 debut album, Briefcase Full of Blues. The look of the brothers on stage was inspired by John Lee Hooker and by the jazz musicians of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, who would wear suits in an effort to be more palatable to mainstream society. There's also a very Aykroydian element to the dress, and that is the hearkening back to the men in black, the fabled, or maybe not so fabled, quasi-government agents who appear after incidents of UFO activity who threaten, harass, and sometimes kill witnesses to alien encounters. UFOs, aliens, and the police are also passions of Dan Aykroyd. Belushi and Aykroyd knew that they would need their own band to help take the act to the next level. To do so, they enlisted the help of Saturday Night Live band pianist and arranger Paul Schaefer to help them in this endeavor. With Schaefer's help, the band took shape. The horn section consisted of SNL band players Tom Malone, Lou Marini, and Alan Rubin. Malone and Marini had both been members of Blood, Sweat, and Tears, the dynamic 60s band that had successfully combined elements of rock and jazz. Alan Rubin was a Juilliard-trained trumpeter. Tom Scott of the LA Express was also added on saxophones. In addition to Schaefer on keyboards, the rhythm section was comprised of Steve Jordan, the drummer for the SNL band, Matt Guitar Murphy, who was known for his work with Chuck Berry and Howlin' Wolf, and finally guitarist Steve Cropper and bassist Donald Duck Dunn. Cropper and Dunn had been members of Booker T and the MGs and the house band at Stack Studios. Aykroyd has said that Cropper and Dunn added a legitimacy to the proceedings. On September 8, 1978, the Blues Brothers opened for comedian Steve Martin at the Universal Amphitheater and recorded the album Briefcase Full of Blues. The album was released on November 28, 1978, 10 days after the November 18th episode of Saturday Night Live hosted by Carrie Fisher. The Blues Brothers appeared as the show's musical guests and performed three tunes, Soul Man, I Got Everything I Need Almost, and Delbert McClinton's B-movie Boxcar Blues, in addition to Otis Redding's I Can't Turn You Loose, which served as their opening fanfare and unofficial theme song. The album was a massive hit, peaking at number one on the Billboard charts, and on the day of his 30th birthday, on January 24, 1979, John Belushi had the number one album, number one television series with Saturday Night Live, and number one film at the box office with National Lampoon's Animal House. His achievement has not been matched. A deal with Universal Studios was quickly reached to bring the brothers to the big screen. Aykroyd worked on the script, which at one point was as big as a telephone book. Animal House director John Landis was hired to direct the film and to help give the film's screenplay some shape and form. The Blues Brothers tells the story of Joliet, Jake, and Elwood Blues helping to save the orphanage they grew up in. They put their defunct rhythm and blues band back together in an effort to raise the $5,000 needed to pay the taxes on the property and along the way evade the police, Nazis, the country western band, and Jake's former fiance, played by Princess Leia herself, Carrie Fisher, who is determined to kill him. Legendary performers James Brown, Cap Calloway, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, and John Lee Hooker make appearances in the film alongside John Candy, Henry Gibson, Frank Oz, Charles Napier, Steve Lawrence, and singer-songwriter Stephen Bishop. 
There's also a cameo from Oscar-winning filmmaker Steven Spielberg. The Blues Brothers Band appears in the movie as themselves, although Tom Scott, Steve Jordan, and Paul Schaefer are not present. Willie Hall of the Bar Kays and Stax Records replaces Jordan and Murphy Dunn, who had appeared with Belushi in the 1979 film Old Boyfriends, fills in for Schaefer. Released on June 20th, 1980, The Blues Brothers was a critical and commercial hit and has since become a cult classic. In 2020, it was selected for preservation in the United States Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Grab yourself an orange whip, sit back, and enjoy our look back at the Blues Brothers right here on Mondo Base. Okay, well, we have four fried chickens and some Cokes on. Faye, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a treat to have you here because I get to talk. Yes. I don't have to be on a script. Exactly. I don't have to be on a script. If I did a written review of this movie, it would probably be 30 to 35 pages, and I'd just be sitting there <laughs> reading it going, da, 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 da. So it's great to have you here. We have done this before. We, As I said in the introduction, we host a show called Late Night Fright that spotlights classic horror and science fiction. Please check that out if you feel so inclined. But Today we're not doing classic horror or science fiction. We are we're talking about a, a musical, right? We are. It is a musical. It doesn't get called a musical enough, I think. Um, in fact, the filmmakers have even said that they lament the fact that it doesn't get called a musical. It falls just right under comedy, and they don't call it a musical comedy. And there's a lot of music in this, and there's a musicality yes. to the whole film. Yeah, really. So, well, let's talk about this. Um, I love this movie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I love I this movie. Too. There, There's really not a lot like this out there, is there? There's not. There's there's a lot a lot of good stuff happening here. There is. And, you know, maybe maybe it's not called a musical. I feel like most musicals, they're breaking into song and dance every, you know, few minutes, you know. So maybe that's kind of why it doesn't fall in that category. To me, that's kind of what I would say. It's more just like... Music heavy, you know? music heavy. Yeah, that's that's great because musicals will use song and dance to express feelings. And right. This, this doesn't really do that so much. So, right. Okay. Well, we'll. Will double, you buy that for a dollar? I'll 50? buy it for a dollar okay. fifty. I'll buy it for a dollar fifty. Okay. This is, uh, as we said in the introduction, this was a lot of different things happening at this time. Yeah, there, this was a really great time for film and for movies and and culture. There was a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of movement, I guess you could say, because you had big studio things like Jaws and Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Spielberg and George Lucas movements had, had been happening. And then you had this great comedy movement that was happening kind of concurrently with that, with as we said, with the Lampoon and Saturday Night Live and John Landis, you know, coming to, to prominence with uh, Animal House, which, which, you know, the star of this movie was the star of that. Right. And so a lot of these things were, were coming together. And, you know, back in the day, we're, we're so used these days to CGI and, and you can do everything like Faith and I could right now probably get a green screen and do some nice special effects work ourselves if we were so inclined. But this is back in the day where you actually had to build the sets and you actually had to have the space to do these things. So there was a real spectacle in the spectacle. And that's one thing I appreciate about this movie. I think it's, it's so big. Mm -hmm. it it's, is. it's kind of an epic. It, 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 really, it really is an epic. 
And I just appreciate, though, as epic as it is, I appreciate the simplicity of it because this plot could be the plot of a Three Stooges short. And I'm sure it probably is the plot of a Three Stooges short. <laughs> and if it's not the plot of a short, it was definitely the story behind the uh, arc, uh, arcade game, the video game they did back in 90 or 91, I believe it was, where they had to raise money to save the orphanage. So I don't know <laughs> what was informing what at that time. But um, it, it, it very classic. You know, it's nothing out of the box. These, these two guys who have never really done well in their lives have to do something <laughs> right for a change. I love it. It's uh, It's just a whole lot of fun to watch. Oh, it is. It really is. Yeah, and we are, uh, by the way, we are fresh off of watching this. So we, yes. we literally watched it and, and hit record. So um, thoughts on the movie? What, what, what is it you like about it? It's just fun. It's very, like, it, it pulls you in. It, I feel like you're really kind of in this journey with them, you know, and it's just I love all the music. I love them in it. It's just it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. There's a beautiful sense of fantasy and magic yes. to this movie. And it opens up with that with those with those great establishing shots of Chicago and the industrial. So I'm not familiar with the geography of Chicago, but you know, real industrial, you know, the foundries, you know, the plants over there. Mm -hmm. And so you see this in, in all of its beautiful griminess and the pollution just getting thrown up into the air and, and that hazy sunrise over that area. And then we go to Joliet and Jake played by the late, great John Belushi, we're going to get to him in a second, is getting out of jail. And, and when those doors open, there's that, that bright light behind him that can only be called heavenly. And he comes out of the gate, and then we're into this, this movie, and there's a lot of magic about this movie. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a, a car. It's a magic car. There are <laughs> things that happen when they need to happen because these guys are on a mission from God. And it's a great piece of escapism. And yes. and then on top of it, you spotlight this great American music. So it's mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a lot of fun on a whole lot of levels, but very, very cool. We're going to get into it because you want to talk a little bit about why we think this is so special. So we'll, yes. we'll get to that in just a minute. But let's talk about one of the guys. Uh, we can talk about both of them, but let's start with the one that's not with us anymore. He's a we're, we're huge fans of this guy. And. Uh, John Belushi, if you're not familiar with his work, I highly recommend that you check out his work. Uh, we have four seasons of him on SNL, and then we have five five movies, I believe. I believe it's five movies. He was in the film, let's do them right here. He was in the film Going South. He had a small role in that. That was directed by Jack Nicholson. Then he played the part of Bluto in National Lampoon's Animal House. If you haven't seen that, Please see that. You're missing out. You're missing out. Then he was in a, he did a little uh, kind of a dramatic comedy role in Old Boyfriends, which starred Talia Shire, who played uh, Adrian Balboa in the Rocky film franchise. And then he did The Blues Brothers. So we're up to four. Then he did a great little movie called Continental Divide, which if you haven't seen it, please check out Continental Divide. That's five. And then we'd have Neighbors. So six, six movies. I feel like you're missing one. Am I missing one? I feel like you are. Ah, we'll have to check before. <laughs> we'll have to check. <laughs> we'll have to do a dummy check before before it's all <laughs> said and done. But um, John Belushi, just just a really great performer. Uh, there, there really hasn't been anybody like him. And as we said in the introduction, 
He had the number one TV show, the number one movie, and the number one album all at one time. It's never, never been matched. It's incredible. It's incredible, right? Yes. We love him. If if you're not familiar with him, please, please familiarize yourself with this guy, with his with his biography, with with his legacy. I I'm a fan. I'll get into it in just a second. Why I'm a fan, but what is it you love about John so much? I feel like he brings a realness to everything. He's as out there as he can be. There's a real grounded realness to him, isn't there? Yeah, he's not trying too hard to be funny. It's just like here I am. I'm a funny guy. You know, it's it's easy. I I have never seen anyone as physically funny as Belushi, (laughs) you know, and effortless because a lot of a lot of guys and girls try too hard to be funny, and he just was. He he was this this force of nature, you know. Yeah, he seemed like he just walked into a room and could make you laugh with anything. He didn't have to sit there and think too hard about making you laugh. And he had the most expressive eyebrows you've ever seen in your life. I mean, and John Landis described him as the Cookie Monster, and he he (laughs) he really he really was. Um, I was going to save this for the, for when we talk about the music in this film, but we can talk about it now. Uh, you know, this was a passion of his, this music was a passion of his and he and Aykroyd both, it was a passion. You're a singer. And, and by the way, for everybody out there listening, uh, Faith is a wonderful singer. So, Thank so you. she, she knows what she's doing. And the reason I'm saying that is because I, I trust your opinion on this you know, more than others. What do you think of Belushi, the vocalist? I love him as a vocalist. Again, I'm going to use the word I used a while ago. He's so real in everything he does. There's not, I don't feel like he's trying to be something he's not. Like, no. he just brings what he has and he's There was so a good. real energy to him. There was. A real, a real electric joy yes. to John Belushi. Yes, and he's got this, I feel like there's depth to him. That maybe people yeah. don't really yeah. fully get. We, uh, it, it's it's one of the, it's one of those uh, things you know, uh, bad things. You know, we're not going to get to see what what he could have done, right? You know, and and if we're not going to get into it here, you know, he he passed away in in March March fifth of eighty two at the Chateau Marmont, and you can look that up why that happened. We don't we don't need to talk about that here, but. Um, he did. He had a lot of depth. He had a lot more. I feel like he he needed to do. He was he was going to do. And uh, I love him as a vocalist. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been I've been playing music for thirty years. I feel like I have enough of an informed opinion to to make a judgment on that. And mm-hmm. and I'll defer to Steve Cropper, whose opinion you know I <laughs> I value highly, who said he was better than a lot of the artists that he produced. Mm-hmm. You know and. There's a realness and a rawness, and it's not trying to be anything other than what it is, and exactly. he stays within his range, you know? And a lot of those great singers like Neil Young stay in, in their box, stay in their lane as it is, and he does what he does better than anybody else. And Belushi had that thing about him. And the thing that comes through with him singing this music is he has a real passion for it. There's a genuine authenticity to him singing this music, and you hear it in this, in this movie, especially, mm-hmm. but you can hear it on all the recordings that he did with the Blues Brothers, and I think it's wonderful. I think it's absolutely wonderful, and he is a gatekeeper for me in a lot of ways because he's a gateway into this music. The Blues Brothers should serve as a jumping-off point for this music, so let's get mm-hmm. into the music. This music in this movie is just absolutely 
amazing. The soundtrack to this is just off the chain. We have uh, them covering Taj Mahal, She Caught the Katie. We have Henry Mancini's Peter Gunn. We have Give Me Some Love, and we have Ray Charles doing Shake a Tail Feather. We have uh, Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. We have Think. We have James Brown doing the old landmark and old uh, sanctified church tune. We have Cab Calloway doing Minnie the Moocher, his hit, Minnie the Moocher. We have uh, Jake and Elwood doing Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley. And then we have, uh, we have Aretha doing Think. And then we have the brothers doing Sweet Home Chicago. And, and the music in this movie, what I love about this and why I'm, I wanted to spotlight this, besides the bass player in the <laughs> band we're going to get to in a second, we're going to get to him, is every genre of music is covered, including country, because I didn't mention they cover the Rawhide theme from the old TV show starring Clint Eastwood. And they You're cover forgetting that. one. Which one did I forget? What other country song do they do? <laughs> well, I'm talking about it's on the soundtrack. Uh, that I, was released, But they do cover <laughs> Stand By Your Man by Tammy Wynette at Bob's Country Bunker. Which is so like my favorite moment. They cover <laughs> every style of music from, you know, blues, R&B, soul, gospel, jazz. I mean, Many of the moocher harkens back to the swing era, mm-hmm. uh, and you get to see one of the architects of the swing era in this film performing his signature tune. It, it's incredible. It's an incredible mix of music. It is. What's your favorite guest performance on there with all those people you mentioned? Who's your favorite? You know, it's actually uh, one that's not on the soundtrack. It's uh, hearing John Lee Hooker doing Boom Boom because the first time I saw this movie, I thought that was one of the funkiest things. Him, mm-hmm. John Lee Hooker's voice is one of the funkiest things it I've is. ever heard in my <laughs> life. So I'll go that. Uh, as far as the guest performers, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, well, in the movie. Yeah, man, maybe. it's hard. It's hard to pick just one. It, you know, uh, probably for for comedic value and production value, I really like the Aretha Franklin think I scene. I like Cab Calloway, But though. Cab Calloway, you know, seeing Cab Calloway do his signature mm-hmm. tune and seeing the way that they, they did that with that backdrop yeah. and all that and and that band playing playing that music is really incredible. It's hard to pick just one. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> you know, but I always kind of go back to, uh, you know, hearing John Lee Hooker sing Boom Boom. It's, mm-hmm. it's incredible. It's it's something. And, and it, this, I grew up, so I've said this on the show before, I grew up listening to a lot of this music. So this was nothing new to me getting into the movie. But it did open doors you know, to John Lee Hooker and then, you know, into all of these great artists catalogs and that catalog, because I love to read liner notes, led to other catalogs and led to me learning who some of these great studio players Mm -hmm. were and not just the bass players. I'm talking about the drummers and the keyboardists. And as I stress on this show, you know, you need to know who the bass player was, but you also need to know who the rhythm sections were. And, and, you know, and this movie is such a great you know, uh, jumping off point for so much of this music. Because with Aretha then, you can get into the New York guys like Chuck Rainey and Bernard Purdy, and you can get into the Muscle Shoals guys like Roger Hawkins and David Hood. There's so much, you know, out there. And this this movie really helps introduce, and, and these days reintroduce audiences to these really great and vital American performers. And I'm so grateful that John and Danny 
you know, this this was a passion project. I, mm-hmm. I love this about this movie. It was a passion project, and this music is my passion. So this is this is like right up your alley. <laughs> this is like you know uh, the holy grail. Exactly. You know, in a, in, exactly. a, in a lot of ways. And one thing I love about it, you know, not to get political here, but cultural appropriation is something that gets thrown about quite a bit today. And uh, John and Dan have never. Yeah, they never claimed ownership over this music at all. If anything, mm-hmm. they were shining lights on on the great artists, you know, who came before them, who they were covering, and they were also making sure that those artists got paid because there's a great story about Big Joe Turner who wrote Flip Flop and Fly, which appeared on their Briefcase Full of Blues album. And yeah, they made sure that his publishing got paid and that actually got him out of financial dire straits. So That's cool. To me, this is this really is a mission from God. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, introducing people to this, uh, to this vital American music, you know, is is incredible. And like I said, all of the styles are represented here. You know, it's 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 great, it's incredible. It's, it really is. And we have a really great assortment of players playing this. You know, that band is incredible. The band is absolutely incredible. How much do you love this band? Oh, they're amazing. The best band ever, really. <laughs> They're they're one of they're one of my top they're up there they're one of my top <laughs> bands it's it's and it's that that mix of of players and it's that mix of really slick New York forms with mm-hmm. that fat back Memphis rhythm yep. section and it, it's like those two flavors they just, just blend so well it's like they were made to go yes. together you know and they just always seem like they're having so much fun. When they're playing, you we can't were, help but to just enjoy We were it. noticing it when we were watching it. There's so many of the scenes where they're playing. You notice it, especially in the raised music exchange scene, uh, the, the rhythm section especially. just the, Every one of them, Matt Murphy, Duck, and Steve Cropper were just smiling. You yeah, know, like, even watching their live performances, you can tell they're just having a blast. <laughs> they were having a blast, yeah. What a rush that must have been for them to end up, like, uh, you know, the I career know. trajectory, you know. <laughs> Because the the legacy of like Cropper and Dunn, especially you know with Stacks and and with that, you know that that whole movement there with with those artists, uh, we're gonna we're definitely gonna be touching on Stacks in this show as as it goes on. But you know the uh, and please if you haven't already, check out the Mondo Bass playlist that's available on the website at www.mondo-bass.com. You can check it out. I have a curated playlist. Uh, you can listen to it on YouTube. You can listen to it on Spotify. There's also a downloadable free PDF that you can. Uh, I've put together some uh, some thoughts on those tunes, and uh, and it is Memphis heavy. But for those guys, that legacy that they created with Otis Redding and Carla Thomas and Rufus Thomas and Sam and Dave and all of those great performers that came out of the the Stack Studios, for them to end up behind these two comedic actors and then end up in this movie. <laughs> And not just them. You have Alan Rubin, who was a Juilliard-trained trumpeter. You had uh, Marini and Malone, who were in Blood, Sweat, and Tears. <laughs> and all of these guys, just how they ended up where they ended up, it's it's just incredible. And in a lot of ways, it, it is the career-defining thing that they did, you know, <laughs> exactly. which is really funny. But with that said, it's not. It, it might also be the best things that they did in their career because I'm I'm a huge fan of duck duck is my favorite bass player for a lot of reasons and this is like his master class i feel like if you listen to him at stacks when he was really a kid you know because he was he was let's see uh man he wasn't very old here he was he wasn't even 40 yet you know he was late wow. late 30s 
but it was like everything that he was doing and you can hear him the progression as you listen through the complete stack singles you know and then uh, his work with booker t and the mgs as he gets better and better and then this is just like where everything just comes together for me Mm -hmm. and it's it's there i don't think there's any been anything as funky or groove oriented or as melodic as what he's doing on this soundtrack and what he was doing with that band really it's it's incredible bass playing and it's what what i have aspired to throughout my career and and it's what a lot of us aspire to and i think it's Mm -hmm. what we should aspire to as bassists because it's so supportive of the music and it's it's in the pocket and it's not stepping on anybody's toes and what I what I keep hammering with this music is if you can play this style of music correctly, you can do anything you want to do. I mean, you can branch out into any style of music Just because like it did. is such a strong foundation yeah. is such a strong foundation to build your musical house upon. So um, that's another reason why I'm so thankful for this movie is because mm-hmm. I get to see one of my heroes, you know, right. on, you know, playing and, and I get to hear him, you know, interacting with Belushi, you know, it's right. it's great. It's it's a lot of fun, and he's so funny in this movie. He's, I mean, he's 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 a riot. He really is. The whole the band is a riot in this movie, and you know they had the fight to get the band in this movie. That was one of my questions. Could you have seen this movie working without the band in it? Not at all. Me neither. Not at all. And I couldn't have seen this working with uh, with actors playing a band if they had you know right. gotten somebody else. Because it, it again is that genuine authenticity that this mm-hmm. movie has, that this whole project has. You know, the, the whole idea behind this is so authentic. Yeah, it seems like a real mission for this band. mission like, from God. Yeah, literally it's a mission from God. Yeah, <laughs> and um, no, absolutely not. I couldn't. No. I couldn't have seen. It. I'm glad that they stuck to their guns. And I'll tell you what else they wanted them to put people other than what we got in this movie, Aretha. James Brown, Cab Calloway, mm-hmm. you know, those those performers, Ray Charles. They wanted they didn't want them. They didn't want them. They wanted people who were more uh on the top forty at the time. Oh. You know, so like Rose Royce who did car wash and that that kind of thing. They wanted them the studio wanted those kind of performers to be in the movie. And there's nothing wrong with those performers, but, no, but Dan Aykroyd correctly knew that no, 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 we need we need to go to the root. Exactly. Yeah, you know, we need to exactly. go to the root. And uh so so I'm I'm really glad that, that that happened. Yeah, because those people in the top forty wouldn't have been in that spot without. No, there's a timelessness. Th- there's a timelessness to to the artists that they right. picked, and and um, if you watch the movie, you you, you recognize that really quickly, mm-hmm. really really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's 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 really it's really great stuff. It's it's really great it stuff. Is. I so love it. Let's talk about the bass player. Let's talk about the bass player. <laughs> Let me ask you. Uh, I have my thoughts on this, and and the listeners. I've heard a little bit about, you know, my love of Duck already, but uh, uh, Duck Dunn, <laughs> just for my money, one of the great figures, you know, in the history of the electric bass. Uh, Duff uh, from Guns N' Roses wrote an article years ago when when Duck passed away. Duff was writing a, he was writing like an article for the Seattle paper, like their, uh, like their kind of like leisure section. He would, I don't, I, I can't remember if it was like weekly or once a month, he would write just an article on whatever he wanted to. When Duck passed away, I read, he wrote an article on James Jamerson and Duck Dunn. And he talked, you know, these are the two real, for me, the, the architects of, of the electric, you know, the electric bass, oh, yeah. you know, the Fender Precision Bass. 
And uh, he wrote this article that these two guys, these two legends, had set the bar very high for all of us bass players. And um, you know about him through me. Yeah, right. I, and, and I talk about him quite a lot. <laughs> quite a lot. Um, we, were, we were on vacation recently, and I think I talked about Duck. Yeah, while we were on vacation, it, it it just it just happens. Did I complain though? No, no, you never do. That's, never do. That's that's why we work. <laughs> and uh, or we'll be listening to the radio, and I go, hey, you know, Duck played on that. Yeah, or 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 yeah, Duck played on a version of that. Yeah, or Duck Duck did a session with this this person, or whatever. Half the time though, I probably can recognize that it's him on it at this yes. point. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, you can. What is it you love about Duck Dunn as a bass player? It's going to sound weird, my answer, but it's like he's so prominent as a bass player. You can listen to so many tracks, so many records, so many albums, and the bass player just kind of drowns. Like, you just, they're not there. There's mm -hmm. no personality. There's no soul. He just brings it. There's and a personality there to his is, playing. Yeah. That's distinctly Distinctly duck. him. And thanks to you, yeah, he's become my favorite bass player because it's just every time you hear him, it's like wow, and he really he makes a song, a song. It's it's undeniably like absolutely, that's him. Ab yeah. You're you're completely right. Now, for those of you out there listening, I do not want Faith to sell herself short because she also really loves Bob Babbitt from Motown. I, I do, and I'm so <laughs> proud of her. She can pick out when it's Babbitt playing and when it's Jamerson playing on a Motown track. <laughs> Yes, I can. She texted me one morning and she said, "Hey, I'm listening to Babbitt." And I said, "What are you listening?" I forget what the track was. And um, I don't remember. And I said, "Yeah, Babbitt did play on that one." It's <laughs> like that's. I said, "Did you look it up?" She goes, "No, I could tell." I was no, like, I "Oh my gosh, I love you." <laughs> and and so so that's that's been a that's been a uh, part of what I love about our relationship is we can talk about <laughs> those things and appreciate those yes, things together. I enjoy it. But you're completely right. He has a real personality, you know, yeah. on, on the instrument, and he was. It's not just that he was the right guy at the right time. He he was the right guy, you know. Yeah. And I'm I've I've actually kind of become email pen pals with his son Jeff. <laughs> you have. Yes. And Jeff just released a video uh, through Scott's Bass Lessons, and I'm going to leave a link in the show show description here because you all need to see this. And he and the author of the book Soul Fingers. Nick Rosacci, I, th I think that's his name. If I, if if I if I did that incorrect, I, I apologize. It's, it's it's Nick something, uh, bass player who took it upon himself to to write a book about Duck because there was not a lot of literature out there about Duck. Now, are you sure I it's had, not you that wrote I the had, book? <laughs> I had actually tried ten years previous <laughs> to try and get the book off the ground. I couldn't get any, I couldn't get in touch with anybody. But <laughs> but you know what? That it, it, this happened. At way, least a book exists. This happened the way it was supposed to happen, and yes. and and he he did a great job with the, like I, I mean, not taking anything away because you know how happy I was when when that book came out, and I just went I wanted to write that book, <laughs> but anyway, uh, they just did a video on Duck's bases, and it's it's fabulous. You saw it, and I want your opinion as a non basis because you watched this thing with me, and and what were your thoughts watching this? Well, my thoughts are just like, wow, there is so much, there's so much history and, and just, I feel like energy in those, in those bases, just yeah. looking at them. I can't just, even imagine yeah. touching or holding right. one of them because it's just, God, it's amazing. 
but I, I've become kind of pen pals with Jeff. <laughs> and, and what, what, a, what a rush and a treat it's been. <laughs> and uh, Faith will tell you, I'm smiling. Right? I'm, I'm, grinning, uh, we both are. I'm <laughs> grinning right now. And uh, I, I told him how much I appreciated that video. And he said, well, we're just trying to keep him on the radar of some of the younger players so that they know who he is. So I said, yeah, I'm trying to do that too. And part of this show's mission is to try and keep him him alive you know and, and and him on the radar him and the guys like him you know and, right. and those guys maybe you're not familiar with them you know because this show is very rhythm section oriented and and that's that's to me that's the most important thing you can do as a bass player's play you know as a rhythm section player and mm -hmm. man for my money he did that better than anybody and with so much personality and and, and fun there was there was heart there was soul there's heart and soul you can hear but it he brought the funk and he brought the groove like there's yeah. just <laughs> he just brought it and he brought it without uh he brought it in a very unassuming kind of way mm -hmm. he, he he wasn't you know he was very humble he was very yeah, humble yeah he he never seemed like he was a show off there's like let me show you what i can do yeah. no it was just like let me compliment the song yeah with what i can and, do right here and that's what i love about this movie so much is that mm -hmm. you get you, you get him at this point in his in his career where Everything was just working. Mm -hmm. it, it was just, it, it was so beautiful. I mean, some of the work he's doing on Jailhouse Rock in this movie, you're hearing some of these upper register things that he's doing is so gorgeous. And it's, and it's, and it's all groove oriented and it's never look at me. It's just, he's feeling it and he's playing it. You know, I don't know, I don't know if he was doing anything different at this time in his life, but he was feeling and hearing things so just, just there it was mm -hmm. just there listen to his lines now listen i'm going to do a show on the soundtrack i'm going to do a show on all the albums that the blues brothers put out and we'll be getting into his work with stacks quite a bit as the show goes on but listen to his lines on she caught the katie listen to that baseline listen to what he's doing Listen to the variations that he's putting on that line. Faith is shaking her head because we listened to it the other day, and and it is it is just as close to perfect as you can get. It it's as close <laughs> to perfect as you can get. Listen to his work on "Shake a Tail Feather." Listen to those eighth notes that he's playing on that, and how busy he's playing. But it's not busy because he's not stepping on anybody. I mean, again, it's such a wonderful launching pad to any style mm -hmm. of music. You know, if you want to go really high upper echelon, you have to go through that duck phase to get there because you have to understand groove and you have to understand taste and, and, and all of that stuff. And right. and this, like I said, this movie in particular, the soundtrack to this movie is such, this is probably the greatest bass movie of all time. You know, it's <laughs> probably so. <laughs> such a, it's such a treat getting to see him. It's such a treat getting to see that band. And it's such a treat just that we got what this movie is you mm -hmm. know it's so fun yeah. and it's now it's so timeless now mm -hmm. you know we're 40 some odd years you know past it and what what a treat i know a it's treat. a it's a movie that at least me watching i just don't want it to end no because there's just so much great things happening in we it. were we were smiling the entire time <laughs> we, we were, were watching it and we were laughing and and just kind of in awe at these two guys you know mm -hmm. what a what a great what a great project. Yeah, yeah. it's a great moment in time too. I'm sure it was so much fun to make. <laughs> well, I, I I think they had a lot of problems. Um, 
I, I have heard, you know, there were some problems with Belushi at the time. Yeah. You know, uh, and then just logistical stuff with it. I understand it was a hard movie to make, but I think I think everybody involved with it, as far as I know, having heard them talk about it afterwards, I think does have, you know, happy memories, yeah. you know, of it, the finished product for sure. Yeah. It's really it's really lovely. I love it. It's really lovely. <laughs> you have a notebook over there. I do have is a there, notebook. Is there anything on that notebook that you need to ask me that our listeners might find interesting or that we need to touch on? Let's see what I wrote down here. You know, I, I do want to ask this while we're talking about the movie. Yeah. What makes it so special to you, this movie, for you as a bass player, as a musician? What what makes it so special? That is a really good question. Uh, the first thing that makes it really special to me is nostalgia. There, there is a, there is a nostalgia factor with this because they've been around my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm at time of this recording, I'm 43 years old. This movie came out the year after I was born, and so I've grown up my entire right. life uh, knowing who the Blues Brothers were, listening to the Blues Brothers, you know, being able to see them, you know, that great performance on Saturday Night Live. So there is a bit of nostalgia. Now I'm able to take a step back from the nostalgia and go, man, this is really good. You know, as I as I got more into my musicianship and got hopefully a little bit more mature with it, I was able to go, this isn't just nostalgia. This is like really good music, you know, played right. by really <laughs> great players. But um, as far as like the movie, you know, what I think makes the movie so great and what makes the whole endeavor so great is um, it's unfortunate we don't see this too much these days. It's out there. It's out there. And I'm going to make a comparison to a to a modern show. But it's this singular vision. It's these two guys who are just united in this love and passion of this music. And their mission and goal was to bring this music to the people. Right. You know, and, and to help introduce or reintroduce, as I said, these great artists, you know, to 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 audiences. And then when you look at the history of when they were doing what they were doing, as Aykroyd has said, you know, they fit in, you know, uh, Disco was dying and the new wave thing hadn't happened yet. And they slotted right in there at this perfect time to remind people that there was this great American music, that we have this great legacy of blues and rhythm and blues mm-hmm. and jazz and all of this and soul. And and that cycle needs to happen every now and then. We need to be reminded that we have this great, you know, music, you know, as part of our history and culture. And I think we're due for that. Again, you know, I, yeah. I think we need to be reminded yeah, of that. We can't again. let it die. We can't let it die. And so that's part of their mission, you know, with this, which I think is really great, which is why it works, because they are genuinely passionate about this. But then when you get to the film itself, you have Landis in there. And so you have a Landis and Aykroyd and Belushi. So you have this kind of these comedic visions kind of coming together. And so I think I'm going the long way around to saying that there's not a lot of corporate interference with this mm-hmm. this was not you know this was not the brainchild of a corporate retreat right this was not a bunch of executives getting together hey you know what would be great is if is if we brought back all this great black american music you mm-hmm. know that wasn't the case at all no. and so it's coming from a real place of uh, genuine affection mm-hmm. and and singular vision to to use some kind of big artistic words there <laughs> you know <laughs> Singular vision. And we were kind of talking about this idea before we, we hit record 
and you see the yeah you know, and and I'm not knocking these movies, but you know the Marvel movies are very corporate. You know that's coming from a big parent company, Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm trying to think what else what else is out there. Just th- these huge franchises these days. Um, I don't know, but Marvel for sure. I feel like you can get lost. You, in you get it. lost, you get in, get it. lost yeah. in it. Yeah, and but any kind of thing where you do any kind of like focus group things, or we're trying to check boxes, mm-hmm. you know, like what we need to get into the movie, kind of thing. Uh, a show that to me is not like that to kind of get modern that I think does have you know the vision of its creators, uh, you know, is, is still pure is a show like Letterkenny, you know, and then the the spinoff Shorzy is those those shows you know, don't seem to be watered down, mm-hmm. you know. And so they still have that that singular vision. There's, there's a real voice, you know. And so because there's a singular vision and a voice, it's because you can. that's why you can get away with some of the weirdness in this movie. You can right. get away with the magic elements of the movie. Why is the Bluesmobile, why is it able to do some of the things that it does? Because they say it, it can, <laughs> you know. And, and, you know, and some of the little weird things, like we were laughing about it in the movie, when the building blows up and, <laughs> and, and they're just like, okay, time to go to you work and, and, and move on. And their attitude in the car when they're going through the mall of they're just <laughs> very calm. There's, there's this, there's this whole style to this movie. And if I, th- I think if you had too many cooks, you know, in the kitchen, you know, they're going to spoil the stew. And yeah. I think that's why this movie is so magical. You mm-hmm. know, I think it, I think it accomplishes what it's, setting out to accomplish yeah. and then i think that's why then it stayed stayed you know timeless i, I think it, i think it's timeless i myself. think so yeah. I, I think a good word is like pure it, yeah it, it feels that way because there's a just, purity there's a there is a real purity yeah to it, it just yeah i don't know a childlike purity yeah. to it. you know yeah it's it's uh i i think that's it i you know <laughs> um yes yeah, that's, that's that's a long way around oh, but um yeah but let's tie that back into to music. Let's tie that back into music. So you know you need to have a vision of what mm-hmm. you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we were talking about with Duck, Duck stayed very true to who he was. Yeah. Okay, well. I mean the thing is, you can listen to his parts in this movie, and it sounds like Duck Dunn. Yeah, it sounds it like the Duck Dunn from Booker T and the MGs backing up Otis back mm-hmm. in the day. Just he's gotten he's expanded the palette right. a little bit. So so stay true to who you are. Yes. Stay true to your vision. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned Duck. I have one more yeah. loaded question for yeah. you. We kind of already talked about him. But as a bass player, what makes Duck so special to you? Um, I know we kind of already touched there's on a, it. There's a, there's a real unpretentiousness to him. There's, um, I, I know this about him from reading, and I, I got... I got the great opportunity to meet him, which it was back in uh, January of 2002, which is one of the great experiences of my life. It's the greatest night of my life. And it it was, uh, there's moments where you meet someone who means a lot to you and sometimes they don't, you know, live up to, to who they are, right. You know, in your mind. And he exceeded all of my expectations and he was, he was, exactly who I thought he was going to be and more and was so sweet and kind to me and genuine. He was, he was absolutely genuine. And I, 
you know, I, I could, I cannot thank him enough for, for that, that moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, it was special. It was really special. I, re- I recounted that to Jeff, his son, and it meant a lot to him that, you know, the experience that I had with his dad. And yeah. he said, that's, that's, he said, it sounds just like dad, you know? And, and, <laughs> and so, yeah, he was exactly the guy that I thought he, he was, you know? And, yeah. um, it's, um, his approach, his approach. It's, it's simple without being simplistic. It's groove oriented. Mm-hmm. It's supportive of the song. It's supportive of the players around him. It propels the song. It's uh, everything I want to do in my life. <laughs> it's it's that kind of thing. Yeah. It's uh, it's special. It's there's no ego there. Right. You know. Right. There's uh, it's that great thing in life where there's victory through surrender, and there's you know when you dissolve your ego, you become this individual. Yeah, and it's all of that. It's all of that at play. It's it's <laughs> it's and and his lines are fun. That's the other thing. His lines are fun. They are. <laughs> his lines are so freaking fun. I'm not even a bass player, but just listening, it's like, oh wow, yeah. that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, and you feel it. You, you can, do. You can feel it. And case in point, we were listening to. We're not going to name it. We were listening to. Uh, I I just I don't believe in knocking right things right. you know I, I don't i don't i i don't i that's just not where i come from right and uh i don't think you should do that and but there was a version of uh knock on wood by an artist very well-known artist we're not going to name the artist and i played it for faith and i said hey what do you think about this and she goes i just it, it was we got four seconds into it like two measures and, in, like, and she went i mean she made this face and she <laughs> went eh, no i don't like it and 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 I, i'm not a fan of it either i was just making sure it wasn't me and then we listened to the eddie floyd the original eddie floyd version of it and it was like ah oh, you know <laughs> and and it was we had that conversation like what is you you looked at me and you said what is it i said it's it's that authentic groove mm-hmm. it's it's real it's missing the genuine soul. Like it's just there's no oomph to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's I, I think that's what makes him him special. He was not in a box. You know, he didn't go to school. Mm-hmm. You know, he was making it up as he went along. And uh, now, with that said, man, he was a really great musician. That's mm-hmm. you know that's the thing. And he here's another thing I know about him for sure. He loved music, and that is something that I stress on this show is listen to music listen to as much music as you can and he loved music and he loved musicians and so what makes him special um not trying to be a smart ass the short answer is mm-hmm. he was who he was mm-hmm. yeah he he, pl- he played his personality and yeah. and that's a, that's a special and rare thing to really play your personality mm-hmm. like he did and that's something that I so when I say I want to be like duck I'm striving to be authentic with what I'm doing as yeah, a your, your true, authentic, genuine self. self. Yeah, how, you know, and that's that's a big part of it. He's, he was special, man. He was so special. I know. And, and when I talk about bass playing for me, it starts with him and Jamerson, mm-hmm. you know, because they're, they're different in a lot of ways, yeah. but there's a lot of similarity there, you know, and mm-hmm. but he was very special. And like I said, honestly, that was the greatest night of my life was getting to meet him. 
you know, and so. I, I got to spend 30, 40 minutes with him and it was, it was really, really special. It was really special. And, and his son seems like a really special cat too. Mm-hmm. So really, really cool. Really cool. So final thoughts, final thoughts. If you haven't seen this movie, you're missing out, not just for a great movie, but there's so much good music in it and, and people really need to listen to it, you know, cause I grew up listening to this kind of music and it's just, I can't imagine not having it in my life. Yeah, you know, same here. But the the movie, the music, everything is just so well done. I think. Uh, I think. Final thought. Uh, kind of reiterating what what we talked about is it's a great launching pad for to get into these great artists, and mm-hmm. that leads to to other roads as mm-hmm. well. Uh, Duck, as we said, I don't think we need to say much more about that. I mean, I, what else can you say? He's <laughs> right. he's he's wonderful, and this 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 soundtrack is is absolutely a, a must have. He's 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 one of those guys you have to listen to. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you're especially if you're starting out on this instrument, he's a great guy to get into. You know, starting out because of the way he approached the instrument, and uh, so that. But then also, you know, from the film standpoint, you know, they don't make them like this anymore. You know, they never they made don't. them. They <laughs> never made them like this. One thing I want to say about the movie before we before we shut it down, there's such a musicality to everything in this movie. Yes. Even the car chases have yes. this great musicality. And I, I leaned over to you while we were watching the movie. Uh, I, to be honest, I'm not a big musical fan. Oh, I'm not. That's, and I know that might be counterintuitive, <laughs> but you're a musician. I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of it. Because they don't seem genuine. They're not. They're not. Very, there, there are a few that are. Yeah, yeah. there are a few. There are a few. Uh, Singing in the Rain is one of my favorite movies of all time. That's a, that's a great musical. But I leaned over you. Uh, there was a Gene Kelly musical that was on Turner Classic Movies recently that I watched. Uh, watched the last thirty minutes or so, and like the last twenty minutes of this movie, American in Paris is the name of it, based on the Gershwin uh, music. As, as the fact, the whole movie is based on Gershwin, and the last twenty minutes is just dancing. And I was just mesmerized by this. I was, I was, it was one of those things like I stopped what I was doing and I sat down mm-hmm. to watch the rest of this movie. It's wonderful. It won Best Picture uh, in the fifties. So I forget what year right. it came out. Yeah, it was, it's it's killer. And it's that kind of thing. Everything was just so musical. You know, there there was rhythm to mm-hmm. everything that was happening. And this movie has that rhythm to it. You yeah. Know, even you know the last twenty minutes where it's just the car chase mm-hmm. is great. But there's there's such a rhythm to this, and yeah. uh, it's it's so from that respect, it's it's a whole lot of fun. But uh, yeah, 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 the Saturday Night Live Lampoon influence on this I think is really wonderful because I grew up under under that influence. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what was was hot when I was you know right. young and coming up. And then uh, the music, of course, as we said. But then also uh, we haven't we haven't said enough about him tonight. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, you know, is is one of my favorites, one of our favorites, oh, he's really. Amazing. <laughs> You know, and this is a great insight into his mind, those Ackroydian eccentricities, you know, as they are, which, yeah. are, which are a lot of fun. This is so Ackroyd. There's so many moments in this movie that are so <laughs> Ackroyd, you know, Scamot, State, County, Municipal, Offender, Dad. That's, that's, that's an Ackroyd. <laughs> I've, um, I've written uh, screenplays before, none that you would have seen because none of them we were able to get <laughs> sold. But uh, my my writing partner, uh, Kate Fontenot, is this, this great guy and great mind and and great wit and just just 
everybody needs a friend like Cade in their life. I, I love him dearly if he's listening to this right now. Cade, I love you. And I, and there's been moments, though, where, where we've been writing things, and I'll go, okay, we need an Ackroyd phrase. <laughs> <laughs> like, like like and we have a few in our in our wheelhouse like like how to turn an Ackroydian phrase you know <laughs> and uh he's really great and and Danny deserves kudos because he's helped keep the flame of this movie alive and this mission the original mission alive and yep. and there was a sequel to this that, that a lot of people don't like i personally really like the movie I like and it. Uh, i think it's a lot of fun i think it 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 continues the mission of this film and in, in keeping this great vital american music mm-hmm alive and then the other thing that this movie does really great is it's a great time capsule and it's a great uh uh piece of history that gives us john belushi and 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 there he is there he is Mm -hmm. and and it's it's so good to see him it is he's he's so good he's uh he's one of my favorite actors he's one of my favorite personalities and uh you know he's one of my favorite guys i still feel like we're missing a movie what was that movie he was in about an airplane Oh my gosh, we did forget a movie. You're I right. Felt it's like seven we did. movies. It's I seven felt movies. Like we did. All right, so we we went the long way around. All right, here we go. You ready? <laughs> I'm ready. It's going south. Uh-huh. It's National Lampoon's Animal House. Mm-hmm. All right, it's 1941. That's it. Spielberg movie, 1941. Then it's Old Boyfriends. Then it's the Blues Brothers. Then it's Continental Divide, and then it's Neighbors. <laughs> and listen, if you haven't seen Continental Divide. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> He's really, really, really it's, good. It's it. amazing. And uh, final thought on Belushi. One thing I wanted to make a point of earlier with him is when you watch him. One thing I really love about him is every performance was different. Every character is different. There's there's different physicalities to, mm-hmm. to each character. There's different comedic tones to each character. He was very gifted. He was very gifted. He was. And, you know, things work out the way that they're supposed to work out, but he left us, I think he left us too soon. I think so yeah. too. But it all works out. Yep. It all works out. So, because here we are talking about him. <laughs> still talking, still talking still. about him. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? The only performer in history to have the number one album, TV show, and movie. That is amazing. It, it's amazing. It's, it's really am- incredible. It's amazing. Absolutely incredible. So, love the Blues Brothers. I know you love, I love you love the Blues <laughs> Brothers. So hopefully, like I said, we uh, part of the mission of this show uh, is to help you all out there, you beginners and intermediates, to you know get better, get better. Listening to music is 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 one of the best ways you can do this, and this is such a great gateway into some great, 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 great music played by some of the greatest artists of all time. I mean, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, Cab Calloway, John yeah. Lee Hooker, Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, that's about it. I don't. I don't have much more. I don't either. I don't either. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in, Faith. I want to thank you. Thank for, you for doing the show. It's been fun. You're going to be back because music, rev- uh, music reviews, movie reviews, <laughs> music movie reviews. I should say will be a thing here. Uh, we've got a couple lined up that we're looking at. Uh, kind of give you an idea. We're going to be getting into Spinal Tap. We're going to be getting into uh, the Beatles documentary, Get Back, that just came out. Uh, uh, talking about then maybe something that's not necessarily a music movie per se, but has a whole lot of music in it, something like American Graffiti from mm-hmm. George Lucas, 
which Faith made the recommendation. She said, you should do American Graffiti. And the more I got to thinking about it, you're right. It, yeah, it's well, because of the soundtrack and the, the way that yeah. the sound design is based it around the music. It, yeah. And again, the gateway into that great 50s mm-hmm. rock and roll. So exactly. so really cool. So we'll, we'll be back with these periodically. And uh, I just thought this was such a great jumping off point because you have Duck in the movie, you have him on the soundtrack, and just this just opens up everything. Yep. So and you get to talk about John Belushi. Exactly. (laughs) Always a lot of fun. Thank you all for tuning in. Mondo Bass is a listener supported podcast, and that support comes from listeners like you. Visit the website at www.mondo-bass.com. You'll find the link on there. You can join our Patreon program for ten dollars a month. You will get every exercise and every PDF that we introduce here on the show. I think it's a great value. Faith, you've seen the PDFs that we're putting out there, and I think they look pretty good. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not just just throwing stuff. Y'all, he knows what he's doing. I promise. I'm not just throwing stuff out there. They're, they're really a lot like magazine articles, you know, and that, that, so um, they're worth it. I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you all your Mm -hmm. value for this. And, uh, I love, I I love what we're doing here and I hope that you go on this journey with us. If, if you don't want to be a Patreon supporter, that's fine. Please listen to the show and, uh, you know, get the word out about the show. It's, uh, we appreciate that too. But, uh, but if you, if you can, uh, I think you'll all benefit from from that Patreon subscription. So, and we're going to be publishing shows uh, at least once a week. We're going to be trying to do twice a week, you know, as many as we can to make you know, again because there's a lot to cover here, a lot to cover here. So, but uh, thank you all for tuning in. Check out the Blues Brothers if you haven't seen it, and if you do not own this soundtrack, this is an essential for you know for your music library. Please get this you can also reach me at mondo base podcast at gmail.com i am the only one that checks that so if you email and you get a response that's me you're gonna be getting me you're gonna be talking right to me as i'm so fond of saying i also really love baseball and old monster movies so chat about those as well (laughs) so faith you are the co-host of the late night fright horror and sci-fi movie podcast that's a show that we co-host together you can find that show wherever podcasts are found and if you would like to get in touch with us you can at late night fright podcast at gmail.com so thank you so much for doing this thank you for having me thank you all for listening we're gonna go get rid of some of these uh these four fried chickens <laughs> and a coke <laughs> Real quick, let me let me throw it to you. Favorite moment in the movie? Did you have a favorite moment? Oh, my favorite moment, hands down, is is them going through the mall. It just, it's so casual and it's so musical and it's just, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, Pier One Imports. <laughs> this place has everything. <laughs> this place has everything. That's a good note to to end it on. Thank you all for tuning in. Happy practicing. Happy listening. We will see you very soon. Thank you.